Thanks for joining us for today's edition of Lessons for Living. His word so fresh in our hearts abound. His word made flesh in the here and now. A new life is beginning. Lord, let us hear your lessons for living. Lord, let us hear your lessons for living. Christ died for our sins. Well, what does that mean? Well, people need to know, number one, that they're sinner. And sin always separates. The wages of sin is death. So Jesus took on the cross. He took my sin and he took yours. Because he did that, he had to die. Now, he didn't have any sin, but he took my sin and your sin. So sin always separates. So Christ died for our sins. See, if if you could go to heaven by being good enough, why in the world did Christ come? There'd be no reason. If you ask people why they think they'll go to heaven when they die, you'll likely get an answer similar to, well, I'm a pretty good person. Trying to be good enough is an admirable goal, but as Pastor Mark will remind you, it's an impossible task. No human being will ever be good enough to compare to God himself. It's simply not in our nature, our sinful, fallen nature. But that's why God came up with a different plan. He sent his son. Pastor Mark will tell you today all about his better plan for reaching heaven. Remember, there's quite a few ways to receive a copy of Pastor Mark's teaching. We'll be sharing all that information with you at the close of this broadcast. Now, here's Pastor Mark in John chapter 14 with today's edition of Lessons for Living. Turn in your Bibles to John chapter 14. We talked about, well, our attitude and that our our outlook often determined our outcome. We talked a little bit about complaining and somebody gave me this poster this week. No whining. No whining. Where would that best fit in your home? Not what person. Now, don't go there. Where would that best fit? Well, I thought initially, probably in the bathroom, when you look at that, when you get up in the morning and boom, there it is, you're already... But I actually discovered for many people, the bathroom's too late. It has to be right at the side of the bed before you get out, because you're griping it so early already that you had to get up. I'm putting in this in my office. You know, I do a lot of counseling. How do you like that when you walk in the room? Well, it fits perfectly next to another plaque I already have in my office. It says this, just get over it. That'll take care of my counseling load for quite a while. All right. John 14, verse 12. I tell you the truth. Anyone who has faith in me will do what I've been doing. He will do even greater things than these because I am going to my father. They are our core values. They are what make us happen here at Calvary Chapel of Melbourne, Calvary Chapel of Melbourne at Vieira. This is who we are. This is how we operate. Now, you notice maybe 
Calvary chapels are known around the United States, maybe 1,500 of them, 1,700 of them, something like that. I don't even know what there are now around the world. They're known by the dove. That's never going to change. We're also known, obviously, by a cross. But we came up with, a while ago, another branding that maybe some of you have seen and wondered, have we become like the New Age Calvary Chapel? What in the world does that stand for? When you see that, how could that mean anything? Well, let me show you. We're not getting rid of the dove. Relax. Just a moment. (laughs) We're not getting rid of the cross. Here's what this means, what these diamonds are all about. It's all about the five C's. So when you see it, this is who we are. And what is the core to that? Commit is always the core. It simply means that you can't really do anything in life unless you're committed to be a follower of Jesus Christ. From that comes celebrate, comes connect. The last two that we're going to talk about today here in Melbourne and Vieira, communicate and contribute. The last two we're going to cover today start with communicate, talk, lifestyle, some way to communicate the good news to everyone, everywhere. As you know, Linda and I just uh, a few weeks ago got back from a, a, a wonderful trip to China, third time we've been. We took another couple of friends with us, and we went to see in Xi'an, China, one of the, well, one of the wonders of the world, X-I-A-N, it's spelled, the Terracotta Warriors. What you see is just a little glimpse of the huge acreage of a tomb of a Chinese emperor. Over 2,000 years ago, he had his people construct out of this terracotta clay this army with horses, the whole deal. And his goal was to have these people buried with him so that when he came to life again, he'd have an army that could protect him. Interesting thinking, isn't it? Aside from the religion that doesn't work, there's 7,000 of these that have been unearthed at the moment. Of course, there's thousands and thousands and thousands of more of them. What's interesting is every one of the warriors is five foot ten. Here's the uniqueness of it. Every face is totally unique. There wasn't a mold for every face. We don't know what that all means, but many people think that every person that was in the actual army had a mold made of his face. So every single face is unique on these 7,000 plus who knows how many other thousand. In our world this morning, 6.6 billion people. How many of those 6.6 billion are unique? Well, look around you. Every single one. That's an amazing God, isn't it? 6.6 billion? In fact, since the day God began creating man, no two alike. All unique. But they, even though they're unique and different with their facial expressions, there's one thing that's similar to all of them. God created them, each one, with a different face, with a heart that would know Him. In fact, Solomon says God put eternity in the heart of every man and every woman. Now, 
When you think of that, we've begun praying for people. Because Jesus, when he was on this earth real soon, one of the reasons Jesus came to this earth was to show us what God was like. See, we really don't know what God's like because he's a spirit. So God sent Jesus in the form of a man to show us. In fact, Jesus said this, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. What was the heartbeat of Jesus? Well, it relates to the 6.6 billion people that are here. It's this verse, Luke 19.10. You probably know it by heart. It says this, for the Son of Man came to seek and save that which was lost. In here are thousands of names, faces, people that were created that in the end will spend eternity in one of two places. We've been praying for the lost. That's the heartbeat of Jesus. Well, as we go through this communicate, what does that really, what does that really mean? Well, it simply means that to get the lost saved is going to require some communication. How does that work? Turn with me in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 28, just three books back, Matthew 28, go down to verse 19. What you're going to see is the heartbeat of Jesus put into practical terms for you and for me. How does it function? What do I do about it? How can I make it happen? Verse 19, Matthew 28, here in Enviera, says this, Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you and surely I'm with you to the very end of this age. Now you look at that and you might think, well, if God put within the heart of every man to know that he's going to live somewhere when he dies, even if he calls himself an atheist or agnostic, he knows he's going to live somewhere because God put a conscience in it. In us, he know, we know by creation there's a God. We talked about that on Wednesday night in the first three verses of the book of Hebrews. Well, if, if man knows that, why do I have to share the truth with him? Why do I have to share the gospel? Why did Jesus have to seek out people and communicate the good news? I mean, if they know that, why doesn't everybody just simply be a believer of Jesus Christ? Why when you walk in the streets and you say to somebody, are you going to go to heaven? Yes. I'm going to live somewhere forever. I'm a sinner. I need God. I've accepted God. Why doesn't every single person in the world just simply do that? God put that in their heart. Why? Well, Second Corinthians tells us exactly why people don't do it. Satan, who is the God of this world, has blinded the minds. Say it with me here in Melbourne and in Vier. Blinded the minds. Of those who don't believe. They are unable to see the glorious light of the good news. They don't understand this message about the glory of Christ, which is the exact likeness of God. So why doesn't everybody just automatically, why do I have to communicate it? Because people are blinded by Satan to the truth that they're sinners. They're empty, lonely, guilty, afraid to die and and, and they're perishing, but they don't know what to do about it. Now, 
If I think about that blindedness, what is the biggest blinder that Satan uses today? Yesterday, uh, about 11 o'clock, I did a funeral. And I enjoy doing funerals, uh, really for one reason. Of course, I really enjoy doing a funeral for believers because it's really a celebration even though there's sadness. Well, yesterday up at Florida Memorial, the and pretty much today almost everybody is cremated, but this was an older individual and there was a casket. Well, if it's easy for me in that setting, and I always do this with kindness, it's easy for me to to relate, and, and I actually go over, if this was the casket, I go over and, and I say, or the urn, I say this. One day this will be yours. Now there isn't anybody in the room who goes, wait a minute, I don't believe that. Everybody in the room believes it. Don't you? In Vieira? Sure you do. And then I say, what you've done here will depend when you're here, the two places there are to go. Now, people debate that. That's fine. And I understand that. Well, when you're dead, you're dead. I understand. I have no problem with that. I understand that. Ten seconds after they die, they'll understand what I'm saying. (laughs) But it's too late. So I have an opportunity to say to them, Most of you in this room, and this is almost always true, unless it's a church congregation, most of you in this room, and it was true yesterday, believe you're going to heaven, you've been blinded to the truth, you believe you're going to heaven, you've been blinded to the truth, and the biggest thing that blinds you is this, you believe you're going to heaven because you're good enough. Almost everybody that you ask that doesn't have any kind of a religious background of truth Believe they're going to heaven because they're good enough. And I get to say to them, that's not right. In fact, it's 100% wrong. Whoa. And I'm able to present the gospel. And you know what? When I do that, many blinders come off. And as yesterday, numerous people received Jesus Christ as their Savior. So the biggest thing that you have to deal with today, probably that blinds you, is that you're a good person and you will get to heaven. Well, we're going to see this morning that part of my communicating has to be in a kind way to say to people, it makes sense because ever since we're little kids, we're graded in school, 90 is here, we get evaluated at work, we get this, we get that, we get the other, we watch the golf tournament today, and you guys are going to sit in front of that thing for six hours and watch them hit that little ball, and you're going to wait for one guy to get to the top. And we believe, hey, no, you're going to see today through the scripture that our communicating, we have to go to those things that blind people. We're not against the Mormons, we're not against the whole Jehovah Witnesses, but their doctrine is wrong. They don't believe Jesus is God. How can that be? And you'll see exactly how. So it's important we know the truth. Now, how do I communicate the good news to people who don't know that? It takes two people to do that. The first, you can write it down, is this. The Holy Spirit... His role is to use the truth of the gospel to convince and convict people of their need of salvation. You see, the Bible is what changes people. The Bible is what changes people. The truth of God sets people free. Turn with me about four or five books back, maybe six books back. First Corinthians. Just keep going to the end of John and then go Acts, Romans, Corinthians. First Corinthians 15. I want you to see, and maybe you've never been here before, 
In these three verses, we have the good news, the gospel, how people can know the truth. In these little three verses, and I'm going to go through it very quickly, but it's good that you see it. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 3, Vieira, verse 3 through verse 5. Paul says this. By the way, in your Bibles, in the margin, just write the good news. This is the good news. That's all you need to know. Here we go. For Paul says, for what I received, I passed on to you as notice, first importance. This is important. You need to understand what this means. Number one, Christ died for our sins. Christ died for our sins. Well, what does that mean? Well, people need to know, number one, that they're sinner. And sin always separates. The wages of sin is death. So Jesus took on the cross. He took my sin and he took yours. Because he did that, he had to die. Now, he didn't have any sin, but he took my sin and your sin. So sin always separates. So Christ died for our sins. See, if, if you could go to heaven by being good enough, why in the world did Christ come? There'd be no reason. Notice the next thing, very important, don't have time to develop today, according to the scriptures. Well, this truth was always known. From the Garden of Eden, we knew that Christ would come and die for the sins of the world. Next, that he was buried. Well, we would assume that a person that dies is buried. What is one of the things that agnostic and atheists say? Well, that Jesus never died, he just swooned. No, the Bible says he was buried. Number three, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. Well, is it important to know that Jesus no longer remains in the grave? Well, sure, because the power that raised him is the same power that's going to raise me. Now, why is this important in this verse? Well, notice it says according to the, tell me, the scriptures. So this wasn't a surprise. Jesus himself said, three days after I'm in the ground, I'm going to be raised up. We know that was true. Jesus said that over and over again, and his enemies knew it. Why? They put a guard by the tomb. How many of you that have gone to a gravesite have seen a guard there? Why is the guard there? They're afraid they're going to rise from the dead? No, but they were afraid... People would come and steal Jesus' body, so they put the soldiers there. The angel took care of that. They're out. The body's raised. This is what it says, according to the scriptures. Now, can we prove that he was raised? Well, take a look at the next. And that he appeared to Peter and to the twelve, and of course the next verse, to hundreds of people. So we see that eyewitnesses prove the truth of the resurrection. So, that's the gospel. How do we get it to the ears of people so that I can say in a funeral, you were born in sin, sin always separates, God loved you so much he sent his son. I can say that, who died on the cross for you, you have to believe in him, become a follower, and he'll change your life. How does that word get out to people so that the Holy Spirit can begin to convict and convince? Well, Romans tells us exactly how that works. Look at it. Romans 10, 14. It's kind of a backwards, and we'll see that in a moment. But how can they call on him to save them unless they believe in him? And how can they believe in him if they've never heard about him? And how can they hear about him unless someone tells them? Well, in the United States, most people have heard about God. Most people really have heard about Jesus. 
They don't understand it, but they've heard about it. But much of the world has never heard about Jesus. Let me just use this same principle. It actually works backward. How can people hear that being good enough, being good enough will never save them? How can they hear that? And how can they believe that they need to be something beside good if they've never heard it? And how can they call on God to save them because they're, they realize they're not good enough? Well, how? Second key. I need the Holy Spirit to convict and convince. I can't do that. But here's the second key. You and I need to understand this principle. Here it is. By the way, it's in picture first. You know, you can take a beautiful yard, and I remember up there, and, and you look out, and there's one dandelion, this beautiful expanse of, you know, up north, you, you roll your grass out when you put sod down, and it's just gorgeous. It's fun to walk on, not like this Augustine stuff, you know, whatever. But you roll it out, and you have one teeny yellow dandelion. If you don't watch, by the end of the summer, what color is your yard? Yeller. How did it happen? You see what a dandelion seed looks like. That little sucker. It can find its way anywhere. It's like nut grass down here. You know, you cover your yard with asphalt and the asphalt bulges and there comes the nut grass coming right up through it. You can't get anything to grow, but nut grass grows. Well, how does the gospel How is it communicated to a world? When the early church started, there's one dandelion. In 20 years, here's what happened. Spread everywhere. Well, how was it spread? People. You and me. Here's the verse. Here's the key. Our role. I'm not the Holy Spirit. I can't convict and convince. But I have to tell people. It's my mouth. It's my principle. I have to go and communicate the good news, the truth, with passion and power. I have to do that. I communicate it. I go in the power of the Spirit. Now, how did 15 and a half years ago, not quite, Melbourne started with one dandelion? How did we get to have six to 8,000 people? How did that happen? Here we go. We started Vieira with a few people. Now, more than 700. That's how it works. Now, when that seed falls, I don't know what's going to happen to the seed. When I share the truth, I don't know what's going to happen to it. But I'm responsible to do that. Then the Holy Spirit takes over. That's why Jesus said, Go. That's the communicating of the gospel that you and I are responsible to do. Can you imagine having a single tiny seed and having to plant a meadow of flowers with it? Seems like an impossible task. You may feel the same way about the seed of truth you carry with you. But today, Pastor Mark encouraged you to plant that seemingly impossible seed anyway. Share it with someone else. Watch God grow it into something spectacular. You don't have to wait to hear another message from Lessons for Living. 
Visit LessonsForLivingRadio.com to access our archive of messages on various topics and books of the Bible. Subscribe to our podcast as well to receive updated teachings as soon as they're made available. We're so glad you joined us today and we'd love to connect with you. Feel free to contact us with your questions and prayer requests at 866-779-3441. That's 866-779-3441. Living your own life for Jesus is one thing. Telling others about him is quite another. If you know the gospel message, though, God tells you to communicate it to the world. Join Pastor Mark next time on Lessons for Living to get some encouragement for using the gifts God has given you to be Jesus to the world around you. And in doing so, share the gospel of salvation. We've run out of time today, but we do encourage you to tune in next time as Pastor Mark will continue teaching through this series, Live for God with Unlimited Potential. That's next time on Lessons for Living. in a herd